I'm Charlie Luxton. Welcome to Home Improved, a podcast on how to make the most of your home in this day and age, brought to you by Velux. We explore inspiring home transformation stories and help you get the absolute most out of your next renovation project. In this episode, we'll explore what to focus on when renovating your family home. In an age when we spend more time together indoors than ever, it's essential to understand which home improvements have the greatest impact on our everyday family life and where to begin with your renovations. Today, we discuss how a worn down bungalow in Cardiff was transformed into a perfect home for a family. You'll see a selection of photos for the project on Instagram, at Velux. We'll also find out the science behind the renovation and different ways our homes can impact us. Now for the woman behind the renovation. Rena is a mother of three young girls. When Rena and her husband fell in love with the plot of a 1960s bungalow, they had their work cut out to bring it into modern times and imbue it with a sense of hoogie, the Danish and Norwegian concept of coziness, warmth and family. We're also joined by Professor Susan Rofe. Susan is an architect and is known around the world for her pioneering work in eco-design. Thank you both very much for joining me today. So, Rena, tell us a bit about yourself. I am a mother of three. I've got three young daughters. I live in Cardiff. I'm an interior uh, blogger and writer, and I've recently renovated a 1960s dilapidated bungalow into my own Danish, Scandi-inspired cabin in the woods. So where were you living before you, you decided to tackle this, I have to say, very ambitious project? So we were in our first house, which we had bought a few months after our first little girl was born. And it was a terraced cottage, a period property. And it was really lovely. It's everything I've always like known and loved. I've always lived in period properties. It was a doer-upper, so it was a bit of a renovation. And we loved it, but we quickly outgrew it. Well, not that quickly, over eight years. So we had to move on. And then we started our house search, looking for the next step up, looking for a kind of, you know, semi-detached period property, another renovation. But we somehow ended up with a single-storey 1960s bungalow. So tell me about that, because the moment that you went to see that must have been a kind of, I suppose, a, a, a leap in, in the dark, really, or a leap of faith, should I say, in that to see that little building that you found and to have the vision to work out what it could be, that, that must have been a moment for you. When we first saw the bungalow, I think that I was quite scared by it, by the look of it. And, you know, I didn't fall in love with the bungalow. I fell in love with the plot. So I loved um, all of the trees around it. It's a backland development, so it's a house behind a house that was built in the 60s. I loved the feeling of privacy and it's got a stream running at the bottom of the garden. It's just got trees all around it. And even in the bungalow at the time, when you walked into the house, every window that it had that you looked out of, there was a view of trees. So we, we saw the potential there, but really it was the outdoors, the woods, and the plot that we fell in love with. And what were your thoughts around providing, you know, the ideal family home? I mean, you've got three kids, that's, that's quite a gaggle. You know, they have very specific requirements. What was, what was your sort of thinking around optimising that part of the design? So my thinking, you know, for the, for the home, it was very much in line with, you know, the life that I 
or he was living with three young children. You know, life completely changes. You live in a different way. You know, I wanted this kind of, you know, I want this outdoors life. I wanted to spend more time with them, you know, out and about. And then I wanted to make the most of the home had to give us so much more. When you have kids, you spend so much more time at home. So what was your vision? You said you, you had a vision for the home. What, what was that? So the vision, if we're just talking about kind of, you know, the exterior design, was just to keep the existing footprint and put another floor on top. But we went through the pre-planning process and it became apparent that we couldn't do that. So then we had to um, scale our vision back. So from the front, it had to retain um, the feeling of and look of a bungalow. But at the back, we were able to do more with it. This is clearly a change of direction, a kind of a step, if you like, into the unknown. You'd never tackled anything of this scale before. No, never. And what gave you the confidence? It's um, that kind of idea of... You know, where there's a will, there's a way. There's always a way, isn't there? And we were just like, if other people can do it, we're just going to give it a go. So we've heard from Rena. She's about to embark on this project to transform a 1960s bungalow into a family home. Susan, now you've done a lot of research into the impact of buildings on human health. Now, why does the space we live in have such a big impact on the way we feel and, and how we operate? The spaces we live in really um, have such a huge impact on our lives. Um, and this has never been clearer than in, during COVID, where we've been locked into our buildings. The spaces we live in have many different meanings for us. They can affect our health. Um, if it's really damp, you'll get ill. Um, if it's got poor ventilation, you'll get ill. They can also affect very deeply our mental state. If you feel shut in or you, you have no view, or you have no connection to nature or the seasons, you may not feel the deprivation, but that's so different from feeling connected to views and nature and greenery that even if it's just the clouds and the skies and the seasons and the birds, it has a spiritual effect. It has a physical effect on your health. And it also has a mental effect in that all of the spaces we occupy take so much money to run or to, to heat or to cool and so on. So there's lots of different ways it affects your mental, spiritual and physical health. So the, this is um, not to be underestimated. So it's interesting because I think traditionally people have found this sort of idea of the spiritual, the mental and the sort of technical aspects of warmth and ventilation. It's all just been a bit fluffy, but it seems that there's a real change in the way that people are starting to view this. Like things like Huggy are starting to be sort of brought into the mainstream, all parts of the same triangle. So, I mean, how do you see that this concept has sort of evolved over the years within architecture? So the brick terrace houses we have in all our, our cities evolved over two, three, four, five hundred years to be better and better at what they did. And then in the last century, we had the revolutions in new materials, in concrete, in glass. So a lot of the what we put into buildings has been rather untried and tested. So it's really difficult for modern architects. They can make shocking mistakes. But I think Higgy, 
And what Green is going for in this bungalow has been a reaction to almost the, the sort of the clinical grayness, the emptiness, the sort of the, the, the rooms that are painted in gray and white and look like hospital waiting rooms, you know, with no human clutter around. So we've gone right back and, and there's this big move back to things like warmth of colors and, you know, um, human sort of brightness and, and um, signs of real life around, you know, which you still don't get much of in the architectural journals, but you certainly do in the lifestyle magazines. How important is nostalgia in kind of our relationship to home? You, you talk about the, the variation of design over, over time, but how important do you think nostalgia is? I think nostalgia is incredibly important because in those sense that that love and the feelings and the warmth that you get, then if you reapply it, it's a whole palette of emotional feelings that you can apply in new and innovative ways. And so when you say nostalgia, it's not a derogatory term. It's something that has to be analyzed. And out of it, you take stuff you value and leave behind stuff you don't value. So are we seeing a revolution in sort of humane architecture? Is that what Hugi, is that what Rena's house, is that what modern architecture is trying to move towards? I think so. And, and um, I think in a world of more and more people, less and less resources, more and more pollution, we are going to have to say, you know, we can't afford that sort of flamboyant statement. Basically, I think we're going to see a revolution back to buildings where what people really value are included and what people really can live without are excluded. And what are the key aspects to consider when designing new spaces in a family home? What you have to understand is that, like I say, you know, building is not a, a, a box that doesn't change. Rena will have a fantastic relationship evolving with that house, but then her children, it might be surprising that they rather go off being with their parents. So when kids are small, you know, they love seeing mummy there doing the cooking and so on, but there will come a time in which um, they'd actually prefer a little privacy, you know, and, and so the spaces, it might be that you adapt the spaces so they can't see you. And I know I built my own house and I had spaces around the corner where they could hear you, but they couldn't see you when they got to their teens. And really weren't very interested in what mum was doing in the kitchen. I'm sure that's not true. I'm sure they are interested, but just sort of tucked around the corner interested. But so this idea of an evolving relationship with the house, being open to adapting a space as, as the kids get older. Now, in your experience, what are some of the challenges that have come about from recent mainstream design concepts? I've been judge on, on the best homes in Scotland and so on. And I'm really very worried about this idea of the, the dream of the great big room where you've got a kitchen at one end, the dining table, and then the living room at the other end. Because A, it's extremely difficult to heat that size of space, but there's no privacy between people. So I think um, this idea of Higgy is really important or, or coziness. Also, you need to thermally landscape it. So if you've only got one great big living room, it's difficult to keep the heat out or the cold out. But if you have smaller spaces, you can have a cozy space or you could have a, a lovely airy space for summer. So thermal landscaping of buildings and living areas is going to become increasingly important, not least because you have to pay for the heating and cooling. 
And you talk about higgy or hoogy or however it's pronounced. <laughs> Could you, what, do you, what do you mean by that? Because I think everyone has a slightly separate idea, don't they? There are similar words in German, Dutch, Scandinavian. There's meet slightly different things in Sweden, but basically higgy is, is, is being cosy in a warm environment with convivial friends and the family around you. It's, it's a sense. It's this feeling of well-being because you're safe and warm enough and have got enough food. And, and it, it's all about sort of the emotional well-being. And Rina, what does it mean to you? The mantra I had for the whole design of our house was I wanted to create a cosy and happy home. So it was about the kind of, you know, materials I used, the colour palette, just everything in the building from outside to inside and how I could have a house that was sensory. And, you know, we've not been able to have many people over because of COVID, but the very few that we have, they want to engage with it. They want, they want to touch the walls and they want to kind of, you know, like the wood on the floor. It, I've got, I've gone for like a textured cross-sawn wood and... I just wanted that feeling of warmth. And you can get that not just from a physical heat, you can get that from other things. So Huggy's this slightly intangible idea of warmth, family and coziness. I mean, I really like the fact it's a bit vague, but, but all encompassing. Now, Rena. You've bought the bungalow, you've exchanged, you've got the keys. Now, could you talk us through the main steps that you took next, uh, the extension, insulation, the, the main structural moves? So because we had to keep the existing bungalow and had to work with it, it was about working with that footprint, but we needed a little bit more space. So we had a side extension and we had squared off some of those you know, covered porch areas. So we only on the ground floor increased the footprint by probably about 40, 30 square metres. But then we added the floor on top um, and that was a timber frame. And although internally we knocked on every wall, we kept three external walls and one internal wall. And then that meant that we could insulate the outside of the building we wrapped the whole outside the building in a natural insulation. Wood fibre? Yeah, I think something like that. And then we clad in the building in Siberian larch um, and it was burnt using the Japanese shosugi ban, if I'm pronouncing that right. So yeah, it was charred so. timber um, and it's just really beautiful. And that adds another element to kind of the feeling of the building. And then the first floor that we added, it was either going to be timber or block, but we did timber, which is, I guess, a more modern way of doing it. More sustainable as well, less embodied energy. And more sustainable. And like with, with our house, I think that in terms of eco-builds and environmental, it's still very much, you know, because it, it, not everyone's doing it, it, it can still be very expensive to do that. So I think that was one way of us okay, so insulation, timber frame, we could do something. And so was it very important to you to get the house highly insulated? Was that a key sort of driver of the brief? I mean, I am just one of those people. I'm always cold. So <laughs> I did just want to be warm. Um, and we have got an open plan space. And we have done 
what Sue was alluding to earlier, that, you know, it is very much open plan, it's not broken plan. And so we've got underfloor heating on the open plan space and then radiators in the bedrooms. So getting it really warm and easy to heat was a core part of it. And tell me about any of the other ideas in the bedrooms and bathrooms. Were there things you tried to bring in there? I wanted to give the girls a space each. So they've got their bedrooms, they've each got a bedroom, which is really lovely. They're very lucky because I shared a bedroom for most of my teenage years. I did until I was 10, I think. I share. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's, you know, um, they are really lucky. Outside the girls' bedrooms, they've got a shared communal space to play and it's just an extension of their bedroom. So yes, their bedrooms could have been bigger, but we actually made their bedroom smaller for them to have this shared space. It works really well for now. I don't know what's going to happen when they're teenagers, but for now, it's good. What about the kind of internal textures? Because I, I, looking at the photos of the, the build, you know, there's lovely wood textures, textured ceilings. I, what was the thinking around that? So again, the thinking behind that was that we it just, it was about this creating a home that you don't want to leave. And I just love again, textures that you can um, engage with that make you feel comfortable. It's that warmth and that feeling. It's really hard to describe, but it makes you feel calm. And I wanted the house to feel, like, give me that feeling, like when you go on holiday and you don't want to leave. What about the connection to exterior? Where did you kind of introduce windows? What was your strategy behind that? The strategy for windows is that I wanted... The girls' bedrooms, you know, all of our bedrooms, I wanted to have oversized windows, again, for that connection to the outdoors. So the girls have got quite large windows when, when each in their rooms. And then the in our bedroom, we put in floor-to-ceiling and we had our rooms facing the rear, on the rear elevation. So we're facing the stream and the trees and we haven't put curtains up. I don't even know if we will. Maybe in the summer we'll need to, but at the moment it's just an amazing feeling waking up to the trees and it feels like you're living in a tree house. Which direction do you face with those big windows? North. Is that good or bad? It's very good for not overheating, uh, but you do lose more, more heat out of a north-facing window. Talking about your sort of daily routine and how you've used roof windows to create and kind of choreograph this experience. So the design of the house for me was all connected to um, emotion and like the feeling and how I thought that I wanted, you know, what I wanted from it. And it's delivered on all of that in terms of, you know, I wake up in the morning and I look out to the sky because we've got a roof window above our bed. Then I head to um, the ensuite and we have a roof window above the shower. And then I go from upstairs to the split level part of the bungalow where my little ladies bedrooms are to help them get ready for school and we're in the communal space and that's where we've got our biggest roof window and again out of that one in particular you see all of the trees from outside so it's hard not to look up and look out because it's just there and it's it's quite big um so it's that kind of emotional connection that I have to my daily routine and how that impacts on it and having all of those views and the natural light pouring in it just sets me up for the day in a right in the right kind of frame of mind and what about the stairs because i'm looking at there's a lovely 
modern steel staircase coming down. Is there a roof window over the top of the stairs? Yeah, so there's two there. So our staircase is quite unconventional because it's in the open plan living space. So what we did there was added in the roof lights so that it, that brings in a lot more light into the open plan living space. And especially as well, the big windows that you see, you know, they're at the back and they're north facing. So those lights, those roof lights are really important. Yeah, can I just ask one question? Do you, what about rain, when it rains really heavily? Is it noisy upstairs? So I don't understand why it isn't. And because I was thinking it was going to be really, really loud. I don't know whether it's the size of them or because the house slopes. I'm not sure why, but it doesn't have that pounding noise. Well, the wood fibre is really good at dampening down noise. It has a lot of density. But the great thing that you can get on this site is, is cross-ventilation. If you open a roof light and open a side window, a rear window or a north-facing window, you'll get lovely fresh air being drawn from those trees and the stream where it's always cooler. You'll get a natural cooling effect from the surrounding area but also away from the road noise. So it sounds to me like actually you've got a, a really good thermal strategy that you can rely on. Is that right, Sue? Absolutely. What you've got there is you, you always think of the microclimates around a building. It's in that north, you've got that lovely cool garden with the stream and so on. So you will open in the really hottest times of summer, you'll open those doors down in that living room and that will draw the cooler air up through the building and dump it. And you just shut down the, the hotter south. So you, you'll start to play. Like I said, this is the relationship you'll have with the invisible air streams. You'll start to play with it and say, oh, if I open that window on the side, then I'm getting a lovely cool draft through there. So, Sue, what do you make of the, the, the main moves that Rena's undertaken with her house in terms of creating a, a family home, a, a place to make a happy family? Well, I think she's very lucky to have found this wonderful building on a... It's the, it's the plot, you see. You know, and you should always see a building as just part of that ecosystem. So you've got that wonderful gift. You fundamentally made some great decisions to have lots of windows you can open. Now you're going to learn how to use them. As you say, you're already evolving new ideas. And it's the beginning of a long-term relationship that over the years and decades, you'll, you'll grow together and change with the changing weather, the pandemics can come and go and so on. But you're just starting with a great building to begin with. I think that's really interesting, Sue, because a lot of people think that when you've finished your your big project, your redevelopment, your design, that, that that's it, it's done, it's it's fixed, it's locked down. But actually, that relationship and how you adapt the buildings is, is, is a crucial part of the, the process, isn't it? You have to design in the potential for using lots of different adaptive opportunities, you know, Maybe it's going to get extremely hot, so you'll need to put shutters on the outside, or uh, maybe you'll need shades on different windows. Or um, you, you know, you've got lovely stuff in there. For instance, your timber linings—that's um, in, internal insulation, like they have in all the sort of Scottish houses. So that's giving you a warm feel because a timber, um, you know, ceiling means that you're not losing heat through it because it's a poor conductor. So you've got a lot of great stuff to work with, but it'll just be so interesting as the world throws more and more challenges at all of us to see how you co-evolve together. 
So do you think it's really crucial that when you're designing a home, you consider the long-term ability to adapt, introduce things like roof windows and shading potential so that you can make the house perfect for the coming changing climate, whichever way that shifts? Oh, you have to be really, really um, focused on a very different future. I mean, COVID was, was one instance of what we were blindsided by, we never saw coming. Um, but climate change, we know it's coming. So putting in roof lights, for instance, above stairs, where you can open them up and use heat dumping. You've got to design a building for a much hotter future because trust me, it's going to be here pretty soon. So you've got lots of the basic stuff in place, but you're gonna to have to put the shades on those roof lights and maybe awnings over certain windows and stuff as it gets hotter. But you've got all the potential and you've got that wonderful site and you've got that wonderful, cool microclimate out on the north that you can mine for um, uh, cools as it gets hotter. And, and tell me about, Sue, the, the, the importance of this connection to, to the outside, to the, to the changing sky, to the changing seasons, the trees. Is that something that you think is crucial in our kind of occupation of homes? When it's really hot and you're stuck indoors, you have to be able to throw open the windows and get ventilation. It's really important for your physical health. It's also important for your mental health and your spiritual health. And it's also incredibly important for how much you can afford because the idea that you can run a house for as much of a day or a year as possible on natural ventilation just by opening the right windows means that you just pay much less for energy. Are there any other really great hints and tips that you've got about how we can make our homes healthier? I think one is you have to get your ventilation right. So you have to be able to dump heat. You have to be able to, if you can, use cross ventilation. And that's to purge any indoor pollution. Because typically the pollution inside a house is often worse than outside. But my real hint is, this is might, might sound a bit eccentric, wet plaster. So if you're lining a house by putting plasterboard on dabs, you're going to get leakage. You're going to get problems with finishing. You just paint it and, and that's an easy, quick fix. But if you put a solid uh, wet plaster finish on walls, really, you know, get a good plaster and it's a really underestimated profession. Then you um, paint that with a water-based eco paint You've got a living, breathing wall that's got mass in it, so it can retain some of the heat. So you get radiant heat off it, so it feels warmer. But also, um, it will absorb the moisture in the house because people underestimate moisture. And in a, a really well wet, wet plastered house with water-based paints, you've got a very modest um, forty percent relative humidity, very stable. Because the secret of a comfortable house is having a very well-behaved internal climate. So you don't want a house that gets really hot and really cold. You want one with a steady temperature and a steady humidity. So anyway, wet plaster, that's my secret, and eco paints. I totally agree around the wet plaster thing. There's something lovely 
uh, about wet plaster. It's really good for air tightness and it just gives a really solid feel to the walls, which I personally really like. There's also a real trend, a sort of a high watermark, I think, for this open plan living thing. And actually, I think people's ideas are shifting a bit towards the ideas of a broken plan. So yes, there's a real connectivity between and flow between the spaces where we live, but you try and provide a little bit of acoustic and visual privacy, which I think is really important. And actually, we underestimate the kind of general level of noise that you get in a family home, you know, annoying things like kids running around and having fun, you know, exactly what they should be doing. But when it's open plan, that can be quite oppressive, you know. Now tell me, Rena, how did your kids respond when they moved into this new home? They absolutely love it because, as I mentioned before, the um, cottage we lived in, I loved it because I actually like really cosy spaces. It's been harder for me actually to get used to the open plan living, which is funny because I'm the one that's planned this and wanted it, but I actually retreat upstairs in the evenings because it's cosier up here. Um, And the space that I'm in now, this is gonna be kind of a second living space because we we lost that in the first design that we wanted. But in terms of the girls, they actually really love the open plan space. They love being able to run around, do gymnastics, dance and they like um where we've done their communal space we've put all of their lego there so they just like sitting there and you know playing with lego they like lol dolls i'm not even sure if they're on your radar um they they're just um kind of they're really enjoying having these different spaces and that's the one kind of vision i had that has played out, which has been really nice. I think the thing with open plan living space is that you've got to have a a snug or a a space that is shut off that you can shut the door on and 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 have that as much as anything to have a kind of a different acoustic landscape so you can go into a room that is quiet and calm and it sounds as though you're sort of finding that space upstairs at the moment. What's your favorite bit of of the house? You know, you had a mental vision of what you wanted to achieve. It's, you know, it's come to fruition. It looks amazing in the photos. Which bit of it really makes you smile? Where I love spending most of my time is actually in, sat at the dining table, looking out. So um, I really love it there. And I really love actually the space that I'm in now, which is where I work as well. So that's that upstairs, that upstairs, slightly more private space. Yeah, the upstairs, yeah. Um, And I'm still getting used to the house. I've only been here since September. So it really is just, I'm taking my time. I absolutely know what you mean. It's, It's interesting that you can start to use the roof windows and the windows combined with this thermal store capacity of the actual structure of the building with a very low-tech way, moderate the temperature in the home to make it perfect for occupation. And if you get those things right, chances are it will be a happy family home. Is, 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 that, is that a fair uh, statement? It's like really a really passive house. It's like a sailing ship. So when the wind changes, you open another window, you put up another sail, and it's one that works with nature. And that's where um, the real deep joy comes from, is that working with nature instead of excluding it. And the way you sail your house like a passive sailing ship is um, how you can have real deep contact with the seasons and the weather and, and all those wonderful things that add richness to life. 
Well, that is fascinating. Thank you both Rena and Susan for joining us. Now I've learned quite a lot here. Firstly, don't be afraid to adapt a house once you finish it. It's just like the start of a new phase of the relationship, but also be really aware to how your local environment, the immediate area around your home can be crucial to how you keep it cool or, or how you keep it warm. Also, the perils of open plan living, you know, yes, it looks great, but does it really work for you? And hoogie, you know, this wonderful intangible concept, which I think, you know, brings the kind of mental and spiritual needs of humanity alongside the more technical scientific ones. There's a lovely marriage there and spiritual well-being as, as well as the more sort of technical scientific things of heat and cooling. Rena, just a beautiful transformation that you're imagination, energy and drive has created, you know, from a little bungalow into something quite remarkable. Thanks again for joining us. And remember, you can check out photos of that project on the Velux Instagram page. Thank you for listening to Home Improved, a home improvement podcast brought to you by Velux. Subscribe now and make sure you never miss an episode.